Um, I'm going to teach you some things tonight that you may not have known about church history and about uh, what's gone on just in America. Did you happen to know that uh, you know, the Church of Christ, it's called uh, Campbellites or water dogs by people down south, they call them water dogs. Uh, that Church of Christ that was uh, really, it really took off under the teaching of Alexander Campbell, that just about ruined the Baptist churches in the south. It just about did them in. Just about did in the, the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a big deal in this country at one time, and, and that, that movement came out of the Baptist churches, and they taught uh, the heresy of baptismal regeneration. And you say, what is that? You probably never heard it in your life. Okay, what does it mean to be regenerate? It means to be generated again, right? To be born again. What baptismal regeneration means is that they teach the Church of Christ, for example, <clears throat> the Catholic Church. Uh, basically, the Church of Christ is just, they're just Southern Catholics, because that's where it started in the South. They teach that when you get into the waters of baptism, you're born again. That's where you're born again. That's not true. Um, that is a heresy. You can get somebody wet, and it doesn't mean they're going to get saved. They'll just be a wet sinner. There, there has to be a real spiritual encounter with God, yeah, where you actually had a change in your life when you heard the preaching of the gospel, you responded to the gospel with repentance and faith, and the Holy Spirit came in, took up residence, and made you a new creature, gave life to your dead spirit, and then placed you, baptized you into the body of Jesus Christ so that you're identified with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Because if you're not identified with his death, if you're not united with him, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, it's the operation of God, I can't do it with my hands. I can't put you under water and give you the new birth. That's ridiculous. It's the operation of God, and he, he identifies you with Jesus' death so that when he died, you died. Because, listen, if that's not the case, that means you've got to die for your sins. That's why you need to let Jesus be your substitute. What would they say, or how would they say, if the people on the cross, he wasn't saved, mm -hmm. if soldiers in the field give their life to the Lord, and they can't get baptized, they're not saved. Yeah. Right, right. It don't match up, does it? Yeah. What they'll do, all they'll do is they'll do, and I've never personally witnessed to them, but I've talked to people that have and heard people and their testimonies that have. What they'll do is they'll just take you through a circular reasoning of, they have a handful of scriptures, i got them written down, I think about eight of them, and they just keep going to the next scripture and the next scripture and showing you that. And anything that you try to say to them or reason to them, from what I've heard, they're unreasonable. And uh, they're deceived. It's, it's sad, um, but they're deceived about it. So we've, we've got to understand it. Because at one time, this, this wreaked havoc on the Baptist churches in America, and it could happen again. Do you know roughly when that was? When Back in the 1800s. I, I'll, I'll read you some quotes from it and tell you specifically. But uh, towards the end of it, I want to do that, read some quotes uh, from history and so but yeah and uh now if you say is this really affecting our church yeah it really is otherwise i wouldn't be talking about it so um duck dynasty for example 
Duck Dynasty, the the Duck Commanders, those guys, that stuff is really popular. And no doubt their shows are um, they're fun to watch, they're entertaining, and they're no doubt good like moral people as far as men go and that kind of thing. But if you start watching their shows long enough and you start reading their books, they'll start teaching the heresy because they're from the Church of Christ. And if you start listening to their podcasts, they'll teach you that. And once a person gets locked into that and gets stuck in it, it's like you can't get them out. You can't. It's, it's, it'd be hard to pull them out. And uh, so there's a couple of men that I've known in this area that have gotten into that duck dynasty. And they, they, they believe this way and they don't even know it. They probably don't even know it's wrong. Because it just looks like from the scriptures that that's what it is. But it's not. Every truth that the devil puts out there to try to break up good Bible-believing, soul-winning churches is a little bit of truth twisted. Every lie has a little bit of truth in it. you know. So, um, but we'll look at that tonight. So that's, that's happening in part. And then there's... Uh, there's other things going on too, but I don't want to, you know, talk about everything I know. But let's get into first of all the scripture. We left off last time at First uh, Peter three twenty one, and this is where they'll take you. This is one of the verses. So First Peter three twenty one, and I'm not going to try to teach you what they teach you necessarily. I think it's better just to learn what the Bible actually says and learn the truth, and then you can spot the counterfeit when you see it. But First Peter 3.21. So uh, the, the oneness Pentecostals, the Jesus-only Pentecostals, like what my dad grew up in, they teach baptismal regeneration. Uh, the Catholics, Church of England, um, pretty much everybody. <laughs> Presbyterians. Pretty much everybody, uh, except for the Baptist. The Baptists are the ones that got it right. First um, Peter three twenty one, the like figure. So now Peter is saying about baptism. He's talking about baptism. The like fi- figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. That's pretty much where we left off, right? And listen, we can't deny Scripture. What Peter said, it's it's uh, it's so. It's Scripture. Baptism doth also now save us. But let's notice what he says about baptism. He says, the like figure. The like figure. So baptism is a figure. You say, what's a figure? Well, a figure is a symbol. It's an outward symbol of an inner washing. It's a, it's a representation Um. We had talked about it last time. We talked about it being an outward picture of an inward reality. But we get that from the scriptures, a figure. Now, there's, a, there's more places where it talks about it that way, but let's just follow what he's saying. So baptism is a figure. Baptism doth also now save us. But he says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. When he says that, he's talking about Old Testament Jewish washings and cleansings that were said to put away the filth of the flesh referring to sin. But Peter says baptism doesn't do that. But it's the answer of a good conscience. Last time we looked at the verses. How do you get a good conscience? We looked into the book of Hebrews. You get a good conscience 
by hearing the gospel, responding to it with faith, and knowing that your sins were washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, and therefore you can have a good conscience knowing that you're trusting in the right object. Your object is the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. God accepted it, and God told you to do this and believe this. And so because you've believed it, you can have a good conscience with God. And now that you have a good conscience because you're trusting in the blood atonement, and you, you believe, you answer. It's the answer of a good conscience. So you have to possess a good conscience. And last time I said, getting water baptized for salvation gave, it will never give you a good conscience. It won't. You ask If you ask a Campbellite or if you ask some of these other people, uh, Jesus only, oneness Pentecostals, if you ask them, do you know that you're saved? Do you know for sure you're going to go to heaven when you die? And they'll say, no, I don't think anybody can know. Well, what if you were to stand before God and, and he, he were to judge you? What would you say to him? And they'd just say, well, I tried to do the best that I can. And I ain't always been perfect and all this kind of stuff. They don't have a good conscience. And I'm telling you, I, these are conversations I've had over and over again. I, I've, I've got a little bit of experience. And they'll always go back to works. Brother Clifford's been around a little while. He knows some things. Brother Ray's been around for a little while. Brother Gary's been around for a little while. They know some things. Brother Tony. And uh, you watch how it goes. You listen to men talk. They'll always go right back to their works. And they'll... Peter's talking to the Jews here. Paul's got him converted the same thing. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Yeah. But what he's saying here is nonetheless, it's true. And... It's the answer of a good conscience. So in other words, what's the answer? Well, the answer follows something, follows the good conscience. And you answer that by saying, I'm going to get baptized and follow the Lord and believer's baptism and be obedient to it because I have a good conscience, not in order to get a good conscience. Well, like I told you today, if it wasn't for grace, Christ died on the cross for nothing. Mm-hmm. If you get baptized, you Yeah. You Yeah. And and here's what Yes. Yeah. Now let's just imagine you try to try to put away your experience with Christ where you you heard the gospel, you came under conviction for your sin, you felt guilt, you felt sorrow for your sin, you felt fear of a holy God and his wrath and you did not want to go to hell. And so you you trusted Jesus Christ the best way that you knew how. And then you got forgiveness and you got up from that just feeling like a weight was lifted off you. Whatever your experience was, it's something similar to that. Remember getting, getting that burden off of you and getting it onto Christ. That was your experience. But now imagine the experience of somebody else who's been taught a heresy of baptismal regeneration. Well, they're going to church with some other people and they say something like, uh, you know, you ought to join the church. I'd like to see you around here more often. What do I got to do? Well, you got to get baptized, and uh, but but before you get baptized, you gotta you gotta. They'll give them the gospel. They will. They'll give them the gospel. They'll say Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. You got to believe that, and you got to repent of your sins, and then you got to get baptized. So what they're telling that person, they're telling them the gospel, but they're not applying what the atonement means. They're not saying that if you believe in this, you can't work for it, but if you believe in this. God will forgive you of all your sins, so you have a pardon, and you'll have the righteousness of Christ, and you're justified. 
you're completely cleared of all guilt before God. And uh, if you just trust him like that, he'll forgive all your sins and he'll be your savior and he'll take you to heaven when you die. They don't give it to you like that. They just tell you this is the gospel story. And then they'll say you've got to repent. That means you've got to stop doing all the bad things you're doing. Okay? Stop doing all the bad things you're doing and uh, start coming to church. And then be baptized. So just imagine a person who believes in a death prayer. There's a lot of people like that that aren't saved. They believe in God. They believe in Jesus. They believe in all that. And they're not saved. They don't, they, it's never gotten from a point to where he died for our sins to he died for my sins. And, uh, and I'm in trouble if I don't trust him. He's the only shot that I've, that I've got. But anyways, they, so they'll say, I've got to repent and then be baptized. And then what they'll tell them is just as long as you don't do anything serious, like rob a gas station or something like that, or, or step out on your wife, just as long as you don't do anything real serious, then you'll go to heaven. So in other words, they'll say, if you say, are you saved? They'll say, I've been baptized. And then you say, are you saved? Well, I'm trying to do the best I can. I haven't done anything real serious, Adam. There's no peace. There's no clear conscience in that. Yep. Right. And then when you talk to them about it, they'll go back to say, I repented. I repented. I used to cuss at work. I used to go out and drink with the boys. I used to do this. I don't do any of that anymore. Well, that's good, but you're going to go to hell. <laughs> you're going to burn. You're just going to be a little bit more of a moral person on the way there. Right. And God thinks a lie is worthy of the lake of fire. Yeah. Revelation 21a, even liars go to hell. So, so you say, what's the difference? Well, this is where it really comes in that it's a cult and that it's a really a heresy. Um, that's not bad enough, you know. Right. That, that, if that weren't bad enough, it is the devil's lie. And you always have something funny in there like this. If you're not baptized by a Campbellite elder, you're not saved. You're not in the true church. So don't forget that. And that, that's just crazy heresy. But you can see how they could pull a bunch of people out of Baptist churches in there. Well, you've got to be in the one true church. Who else does that sound like? <clears throat> the Catholics. If you're not in union and communion with the one true church, salvation, there is no salvation outside of the Roman Catholic Church. That's silly. What about the Greek Orthodox Church or the Egyptian Coptic Church? You know? So that's what they'll say there too. So we've got to know what we believe and why we believe it just in case you're ever dealing with it. And for me, I was. And I was glad somebody showed me. And now as a pastor, I certainly need to. But uh, So the like figure. So baptism is a figure. Would you agree that the Bible says that? <clears throat> so what is the baptism that saves us? Well, notice that it doesn't say water baptism. <laughs> notice it does not say water baptism. Do you, do you read water in your Bible? There is a baptism that saves us, and that's the spiritual baptism. Go to Romans 6 real quick. Go to Romans 6. <clears throat> so we're kind of looking at it from our perspective, from history. But after I get done running maybe one or two more references, then I want to look at it from the perspective of somebody who's trying to come out of, say, the Church of England, which was basically the Roman Catholic Church without Rome. Say, let's look at somebody trying to come out of the Church of England or 
the, the Protestant Reformation in Switzerland or in Germany and what it was like for them. And I'll give you a, an example. So Romans 6, here's another place where it says that baptism is a likeness. Uh, baptism is a likeness, it's a figure, it's a picture. It's just a, it's like an object lesson. But it's a holy picture. A holy likeness. So, uh, verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. When you're put down in the water, you're buried, planted in the likeness of his death. We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So it does say that it's a likeness there. But let's go back up to verse 1. And what Paul does is he explains the spiritual reality that is pictured by the water baptism. So, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, we don't believe that. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Now, that's the spiritual baptism. Just look at that real quick, and I'm going to read to you a reference right along with that. And it's 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. And it says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. That's two baptisms now that you know about. A water baptism and a spirit baptism. There's, there's others, but that's two now that you know about. So, you've been buried with him by baptism into death. And like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. So, the spiritual baptism, verse 4, is pictured by the water baptism of verse 5. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified. Notice that word is. You see how important the Bible is? Like, like attention to detail and studying the Bible. See how important that is? That little word, is. Present tense. The old man is. In other words, if you're saved tonight, you are crucified with Christ. Not you were, but you are crucified with Christ. You say, he was crucified 2,000 years ago. Yes, now you're starting to catch on. In God's reckoning, the way that God sees things, he sees you, when he looks at you, he sees your old man crucified with Christ. So when he looks down at John Westover, he says, John Westover is crucified with my son. His old man, I was united with Jesus in death. In other words, when Jesus died, I died. The old man. Therefore, I cannot die for my sins again. Do you see why I cannot be judged for my sins and be condemned eternally? Because I've already died in Christ. And he died for my sins. And I'm crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Now I'm supposed to live like it. Live out a spiritual truth. Henceforth, we should not serve sin, is what Paul is saying. There's something you need to know. There's something you need to reckon. Something you need to yield. I heard... Uh, Adrian Rogers preached a message like that. It was so good. you got to know that when Christ died, you died. That old man is dead. He's, he's dead. Now start living like it. Start walking in the new man. you got to reckon. you got to count this thing. you got to count on it. 
count it, bank on it. This is so. And then yield. What does that mean? Whenever you, if your flesh wants to sin and you give in to that, you, you quench the Holy Spirit inside of you and then you live in sin. You walk in sin. But vice versa, whenever you are tempted and drawn away of your own lust to do something in the flesh and you refuse to do it, then now you're refusing the flesh and you're yielding to what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. Now you're walking in the Spirit. That's what, that's what he's trying to tell you to do. So this, this, old, this flesh, still very much alive and active, but in God's reckoning, you are crucified with Christ. So the way God sees you and the way other people see you is different. And we got to, he said, just start seeing yourself like I see you. And that's what is pictured in baptism. That's what baptism pictures. Now, to nail this down, look at Acts chapter 10. You can see all of this happening in, in the right order, in the order that it happens for us now in the church age. Acts chapter 10. How do you get saved? How do you get the spirit baptism? So we're going to look at that real quick and then read a few comments from history. How do you get spirit baptized? I'm going to give you a spoiler. Every one of us, if you've been saved, then at the moment of your salvation, when you trusted Christ, you were born again. And the moment you trusted Christ, you were baptized into Christ. It's a spiritual operation. You weren't even aware that it happened. You're not waiting for a second experience. You're not waiting to fall down on the ground and start blubbering in some gibberish. You were baptized into Christ. Do you need to be filled with Christ? Absolutely. <laughs> um, but that's another matter. Now, so Acts chapter 10. Now, uh, Peter, let's say, mm, let's see, Peter is sent to go and preach the gospel to Cornelius, and I don't want to go through all of that. Um, verse 22, we've got this man, actually, let's go back to verse 1, Acts chapter 10, verse 1, just to get the background on Cornelius. There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius. He was a centurion, so he was a, he was a high-ranking soldier, kind of like a captain, of the band called the Italian Band. He was a devout man. He was a religious man. He would have been spiritual. One that feared God. He was a God-fearer with all his house. He taught his house to do the same thing. He gave much alms to the people, so he gave money to the poor. He prayed to God Always. Do you pray to God always? I mean, seriously, do you pray every day, throughout the day? I mean, you, there's some people I talk to and they say, I pray for you every day, preacher. That's humbling when they say that. And there's some people I've heard them say, I pray for my kids and my grandkids every day, without fail. That's pretty good. But he prayed to God always, all the time. He saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day. He even had a vision. Some kind of a spiritual encounter with an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, or what is it, my Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. So God heard his prayers. God saw his alms. 
And God sent an angel to talk to him. And all of those things happened, but Cornelius was still not saved. He was still not right with God. So it just goes to show you, just being a moral man, being a religious man, being upright is not enough to save you. This angel came to tell him there's something else that you need to be right with God. And you don't have it yet. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon whose surname is Peter. He said, what you need is a gospel preacher. And notice the angel didn't tell him the gospel. Angels aren't allowed to. That is a right that's only given to men who are called of God. And really everybody can preach the gospel. But Peter specifically was called to do this. And angels aren't allowed to do it. So God wants it done a certain way is what I'm trying to get at. You've got to hear the preaching of the gospel. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And then the angel spoke to him and departed. What happened in between was that Peter didn't want to go to the Gentiles. Cornelius is a Gentile. He's from the Italian band. Peter didn't want to go talk to him. Because at this time Peter didn't understand that the gospel is for the whole world. He thought it's just for the Jews. Paul was the one that had to deal with him about that. But before Paul gets a chance to deal with him, the Lord deals with him. Gives him a vision of some unclean animals and said, Arise and eat and tells Peter to do something he's never done in his entire life. Eat unclean food that was not kosher for a Jewish diet. And the point he was trying to make is he's trying to say, Peter, you're calling Gentiles unclean and you won't even go to him with the gospel. So Peter, go to him with the gospel. And so Peter does. Then look what's happened uh, there now in verse 22. And they said, uh, Cornelius the centurion, a just man... Uh, so he had, he was, this man was a good man as far as men go. One that feareth God, of a good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So Peter and some other men went, and they entered into Caesarea. Verse 24, Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. He's, he's, uh, he's wanting everybody to hear this. And uh, we ought to want everybody to hear it too. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him like a good Catholic. And, he's, and he said, get up, man. Get up. You're not supposed to worship me. I'm a man just like you. But this man is a picture of a good Catholic who's just not been born again. He needs to be born again. So being religious is not enough. Verse 27, As he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you... Without gainsaying, and as soon as I was sent for, I asked, therefore, for what intent ye have sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting, and then he had this vision. And then he said, I was told to send for you to come and to tell me words and tell me what i got to do. Verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, this is his message now, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Yeah, if you do that, God will obligate himself to get a gospel preacher to you. And then you've got to hear the gospel and get saved. 
So it doesn't mean that you're right with God and you're going to go to heaven. But God responds to that. Sure he does. And, uh, but you, that just means he needed to hear the gospel. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, see he's preaching the gospel, and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So he talks about his righteous life, sinless, perfect life. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree, Christ crucified. So his righteous life, his crucifixion. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, now to all the people, or excuse me, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead, giving proof of his resurrection. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness, given scriptural proof from the Old Testament, that through his name whosoever is baptized shall receive forgiveness of sins. Is that what it says? Whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission or forgiveness of sins. While Peter yet, listen to it, while Peter yet spake these words, what happened? The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. So Peter's uh, guys that came with him, they were amazed. As many came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now they received the gift of the Holy Ghost upon what condition? Belief. How did they believe? Somebody preached the gospel to them. You see a pattern? The gospel is preached. You believe. The Holy Spirit does his work, comes in to take up residence. And with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Why? It was clear to everybody there. Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And it proved to Peter, you see Peter, I'm saving Gentiles. Don't call them unclean. I wanted to save them. I needed you to go preach the gospel. You see Peter, it's not just for the Jews. It's for everybody. It's, it's a sign to validate to Peter and to his Jewish circumcised friends that God is in this thing. And it's a sign that uh, validates the apostles' ministry. So that everybody could know this is what God does. You hear the gospel, you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. Then look what happens. Verse 47. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? The water baptism pictures the spiritual reality. Now this is the same order that it happens for us only we don't speak in tongues. Because we're not trying to validate an apostle's ministry. Because we're not trying to prove to the Jews that God's in this. That Jews require a sign. You see what I'm saying? This is the order. So, you've got to believe. That's why we preach believer's baptism. We preach regenerated church membership. You've got to be born again. You say, how do you get born again? When the Holy Spirit comes in. That's how you're born again. When does it happen? When you hear the preaching of the gospel and you believe. See, it's clear as a window. 
It's clear as a glass window. Um, now, yes, yep, and and yeah, and the regeneration happens before you ever step into the water. You're regenerated first. So if you're not regenerated, you have no business being baptized. Yeah. And it's not hard. You know, in the Old Testament, I was just reading today in my daily reading. I was just reading that Abraham was told by God. Abraham was like, oh, just let my son Ishmael live before you, Lord. Let him be the one that you use to be the promised seed. And God said, no, I don't want Ishmael. I'm going to bless him and bless Hagar, but I don't want him. No, Abraham, he was Abram at the time. He said, you're going to have seed that's going to come forth from your own loins and Sarai is going to conceive, and, and she's going to have a child. And you know what? It says that Abraham believed him. Even though Abraham was 99, right? Sarah was 90. And Abraham believed God. And after that, there's a verse that says, So Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. He be- what does it mean to believe in the Lord for us today? We believe in the Lord when we believe what God said. God said, if you'll believe that my son died for your sins, that he was buried, he rose again the third day. If you'll believe that, then I will count it to you for righteousness. Amen. And that's that righteousness, if you don't have that righteousness, you can't go to heaven. That's the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to you and put on your account. Now let me read a couple of quotes here. You say, why is this important? We ought to really appreciate this because your Baptist brothers and sisters throughout, let's just say since the Reformation, many of them died so this truth could go forward. If you don't believe me, you'll be convinced after I read a couple of these things. And listen, they weren't always called Baptists. The the name that's on the sign is not the important thing. They weren't always called Baptists, but they believed just like we do. Just like what I said tonight. They believe just like we do. And for, for that, they died. You say, why did they die? Okay? Imagine you're in a state church. It's hard to imagine because we've never lived like that. America's against that. But imagine you're in a state church. In other words, when you were just a baby, maybe eight days old or something like that, your mama took you to the priest and the priest baptized you. That's all kinds of wrong, right? From everything that we learned tonight. The priest baptized you. What that did was that made you a citizen. So it's kind of like getting your social security card. Well, people who started reading their Bible after the Gutenberg Press was invented and got Bibles were all over the place, people who started reading their Bible started realizing, I'm not even saved. But I've been baptized and confirmed in the church. And I go to church every Sunday because everybody does. But I'm not even saved. And then they get saved. And then they start reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit is now showing them things. And they're like, baptism is for believers only. And uh, it's by immersion. So they start doing that and start knowing churches. And what that is, is that's basically like saying, you are, it's like saying, I'm not going to give a social security card to my kid. You'll get in trouble, you know. Or if you start paying your social, stop paying social, or your taxes. It's like you are separating, or if you go against your government. That's what they viewed it as. They said, you're going against your, your king and your kingdom And you're basically, if you're not baptizing your children into the church, then they're not members of the kingdom either. They're not members of their country, you see, because the two were together. That's why in America, we separate church from state. Because what happened as a result of that, when people started doing that and coming out of the church, 
Catholics started killing them, and boy, did they ever love to kill them by the thousands. And then, not just that, but after the Reformation, the Protestants started killing them. Now, there's any government that's ever been founded on Baptist principles has never killed anybody for what they believe. But the Catholics and the Protestants have. That's why we are not Protestants. We don't identify with them. Okay, let me give you a brief quote real quick. I'll try to do just one or two. I've got a few minutes. So here's the Reformation that begins in Germany. Martin Luther, right? It's October 31st, 1517. He nails the 95 Thesis to the door of the church at Wittenberg. Martin Luther was a great guy, and he restored the gospel, and he preached justification, but he hated Baptists, and he had them persecuted. Ulrich Zwingli, Switzerland. Oh, he was a Roman Catholic priest, but he started seeing the problems with the church, and they started trying to reform or correct or fix the church. And so uh, um, at first, he was with the Baptist believers, but then Zwingli disagreed and uh, he, because he baptized infants, and so he disagreed with that, and so later he started to persecute them. John Calvin, he started uh, the Presbyterian movement. He was also anti-Baptist and also would persecute and was against Baptists. Then you had a Reformation in England, King Henry VIII. And uh, basically he separated from Rome because he wanted to get married again, and, and it wasn't legal within Roman church. So now you basically have a Roman Catholic church without Rome. They persecuted terribly the Baptists. Here's some Baptist leaders from the Reformation. This is a quote from a U.S. Supreme Court Justice Black. He, noticed, he noted in a case between Everson versus the Board of Education, 1947. This is the U.S. Supreme Court. The, this is from an article called The U.S. Supreme Court Knows More About Baptist History Than Baptists Do. He says this, With the power of government supporting them at various times and places, Catholics had persecuted Protestants. Protestants had persecuted Catholics. Baptists were peculiarly obnoxious to certain dominant, prominent Protestant sects. So he said they persecuted each other and they persecuted Baptists. Baptists in Germany. Listen to this. This is just incredible. Baptists flourished in Germany, much to the dismay of Martin Luther and the Lutherans and the German government. In Augsburg, 1524, two Baptist leaders, Hans and Leonard, were martyred for holding Baptist views. Nonetheless, by the next year, a Baptist church was started in that city of Augsburg, growing to over a thousand members within two years. Now that's rapid growth. The church was pastored by Hans, uh, who became a center, uh, he made it a center for training and church planting, this Hans Dink. With Pastor Dink uh, doing this work and starting another church in Strasbourg, Hans Leopold became the, the pastor in Augsburg, and this is what happened in Augsburg. Pastor Leopold was arrested at a prayer meeting and after a trial was beheaded. Five other church leaders were killed and every known member was branded with a hot iron. You ever seen a cattle, a cow branded with a hot iron? Every known member was branded so that everybody could spot them. This is one of those Baptist heretics. And others were ordered to go out of town, but it gets worse. By 1530, there were no meetings of a Baptist church in Augsburg. Rottenburg, 1528, the pastor and 70 Baptist church members were beheaded. They, they wanted them to stop meeting. 
come back into the, the English church. Salzburg, 18 Baptists were buried, or excuse me, burned at the stake. Were burned at the stake. One of the great Baptist preachers of the Reformation era in Germany was Pilgrim Marpeck. He uh, was used of the Lord to um, start many churches, but he refused to expose the Anabaptists in the mines, and so they picked him out and made him an enemy. It just goes on like that. Terrible things that they would do. They would do awful things. They would burn them alive. We're talking about Protestants. They would burn Baptists alive. They would take pincers and pull layers of their skin off one at a time until they died of pain. Those people couldn't believe in the Ten Commandments. Love God, neighbor, do not kill. Yeah. I mean, that's God's rule. Right. And you, and you know, like Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. Right? Jesus said, how are you going to know real believers? You'll know them by their fruits. And so those people within the Protestant movement that did that stuff, I don't think they could have been saved. How could you do that to somebody? And, um, I mean, just if you've ever read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's terrible accounts of things that they would do to people. Uh, Imagine a woman walking along a bank in Switzerland and some monks coming out of the woods and knowing that she's been coming from a meeting with these people, whatever their name might have been called at the time, but they were believers like us, grabbing her baby, taking it out of her arms and throwing the baby into the river and saying, there, you want to baptize your uh, babies? It's baptized. And then taking her and drowning her in the river. Stuff like that went on. I mean, just all over the place. Um, so that, so what was the crime? They started to see in the Bible that it's believers' baptism. And uh, that what they were doing at their church, a lot of it wasn't biblical. Okay, so let's go ahead and pray and close there. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the great heritage that we have. Lord, I thank you for what many people before us have suffered. And then around the world, Lord, there's many people who are suffering for their faith and for their belief. I thank you for a country like this, that people can come to America. They can believe whatever they want to believe. They can practice their faith however they want to, just as long as they don't hurt anybody. And we have the freedom to do it. And God, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I, I give you all the credit for that. But Lord, I know that you used uh, Baptist pastors to make that happen. And so, Father, I'm thankful for that. But tonight, I'm not proud to be a Baptist. Tonight, I'm just glad that I'm saved by the grace of God and thankful to have the truth that I have. Pray, Lord, you'd help me to be faithful to it. Help us to, to be fully persuaded in what we believe. And help us, Lord, to try to persuade and convince others we have the truth. And uh, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So I pray that you'd use our church to open up the eyes of some of those that may be trusting in water baptism for salvation or their own self-righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you for your patience.